Hello, and welcome to the Self Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self sufficiency. Sustainability and food security matters. and welcome to the self-sufficient hub podcast i hope you're all safe and well today i have with me returning guest or frequent guest should uh, <laughs> perhaps perhaps uh, you know co-host status almost, oh, I don't know about uh, <laughs> alan from the urban homesteading uk podcast hi alan hi carl how you doing yeah, great, thank you. And good, good. Um, you were actually here at the Sufficient yes. Hub Homestead, weren't you, just a few days ago? Amazing, yeah, yeah, we were. It was really fantastic on our way back from holiday. It's so cool to come and see your place and uh, obviously to meet as well, which was just amazing. We had a lovely time and uh, yeah, the yeah. kids came home raving about your daughter as well, which was lovely. Oh, awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so so for, those, uh, for those following along at home and keeping score, basically... Alan has two daughters and I have two sons and an elder daughter. My daughter mm. is 15 and she did a fantastic job of basically entertaining your girls, didn't she? Yeah, she really did. She really did. They, were, <laughs> they had a lovely time. So thank you. And, and well, thank good you for all of us. We had a really good time. No, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. We've known each other a little while online and, mm. you know, we, we've had a few phone calls, haven't we? In a, yep. um, we, we've got a group chat with Mike, who's your co-host over at yep. the Urban Homesteading UK podcast. And we've obviously spoke several times privately as well about all sorts of things. Mm. So it was absolutely lovely to finally meet in person. It really was. It really was. And it just like to see the place as well. Obviously, I've seen you know, quite a few of your YouTube videos now and, and to meet Jackie, who's always very shy on camera. Yes, uh, that was that was really cool, and obviously the fact that our wives got on really well was was uh, was a real yeah. bonus. So it was fantastic. Yeah, exactly yeah. right, hundred yeah. percent. So as yeah. you sort of alluded to, you were on your way back from holiday, and <laughs> we we you know we're only loosely going to sort of topic this conversation. So we'll see where we go. But yeah. one of the ideas we had to kind of discuss today was the idea of going away on holiday, and you know all of the the different ways that we perhaps need to look at that as people who keep animals or are growing plants, it's not mm. quite as simple as some people when, you know, you book a holiday and that's, you don't really think about who's going to take care of what's going on at home. So you, uh, you went to some lengths, didn't you, to look after your plants and stuff. So perhaps, you know, yeah. just take it from there. Well, we, we kind of had to. I mean, uh, in the past, we've been very fortunate that we've we've had my my father-in-law who, who would normally have taken care of all of it for us, um, mm -hmm. which is you know going above and beyond his, his father-in-law duties. Um, but unfortunately, this time he's, he's not been very well lately and he just wasn't in a fit state to, to do that for us. Uh, and so we really had to think very carefully about how we do it. And, and in the past, it'd sort of be a very simple case of, oh, you couldn't just come and look after the house for a week while we we're away. And, and he'd be like, oh, well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> he'd kind yeah, of yeah. Reluctantly, reluctantly take it on. Um, <laughs> and so it, what we had to kind of think about is obviously in terms of livestock, we've got pet guinea pigs and we've got obviously the chickens. Um, the bees look after themselves, don't need to worry about them. Um, yeah. But we've got some fish and things like that. That you know, obviously, if you hadn't taken steps to look after them while you're away, then you're going to come back and they're not going to be there anymore. Um, and then, obviously, on top of that, I've got a couple of greenhouses um, and the allotment as well, which kind of needed looking after. So I kind of had to. It was too much to ask one person to do. 
that's not close a close relative so we kind of had to try and farm it out as much as possible really and sort of share that those duties around a bit and i guess it what it makes you do is realize just how much you do and how much you take on yeah <laughs> and i think that was the thing about it it makes you realize yeah and so perhaps take stock a little bit which is i think it's quite useful um so yeah um, so, I, I, yeah, I can go into, uh, we, obviously, we asked neighbours and, and friends to come and, and sort of do some turns for us. Um, but the chickens are always a really easy one, I think. And I think anyone that's got chickens that's been in that situation, um, it's pretty straightforward. Most people, particularly if they've got children, are quite eager to get involved with the chickens, I've found. Um, yeah. Largely because they want their kids to know about where the egg, eggs come from. Um, they like having the eggs and obviously the deal is always that, you know, we, we go away and we leave you to look after the chickens where you're going to take the eggs away and eat them. Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, that, that sort of usually entices most people in. Yeah, uh, and it's a great actually... way of doing it for, for lots of different reasons as well, because it, it kind of it takes away any guilt you might have about asking, doesn't it? It's almost like there's a built in payment. It, it really, yeah, it really does help. And actually our neighbours on, on one side have got a, a little girl slightly younger than ours and, and have a, on a few occasions said, you know, if you ever need any help looking after anything, actually, we'll be more than willing to, to you know, do what we can. Um, yeah. And so so they were quite eager actually to get around and, and they've been around to see the chickens before with their little one anyway, but to actually come and, and be responsible for them for a couple of weeks. They were, they were more than happy to do that. The difficulty was that they weren't able to do it every day. And that's, you know, as, as people have busy lives, it, it was too much for them. They said, actually, I really probably can't do these days. Uh, and so actually yeah. we had, we had three different families on kind of on, on a rotor doing, doing it at different times of the week and just yeah. asking them to pop pop in either morning or afternoon or, or on some occasions both um so the so the animals were seen every morning and every evening um just to make sure that you know they had food and water and, and obviously just before we came away it had been very hot here um and and obviously when it's very hot the chickens get through the water a lot more quickly and and you need to make sure they've got that so otherwise that's going to be a problem uh, and so just having them dropping in twice a day just gave us that peace of mind that they were going to be looked after. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And uh, what about watering your plants? The plant? <laughs> we live in England, is... so that wasn't so much a problem. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I kind of had, had sort of concerns that we might have the heat wave that we'd had before. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Um, so I, I kind of divvied it up into two different areas. Um, I think the first thing to say is that if you know you're going away on a big holiday in the summer, don't do what I did and just grow everything you were going to grow anyway. Um, have, a, have a bit of a plan about what you can realistically manage if you're not going to be around. Yeah. Um, because I, I ended up the last, like, fortunately, we because we, I work in the school, we broke up for the summer holidays about five days before we went away. And I literally spent the majority of those five days trying to get everything here in a fit state to be left. Um, yeah, yeah. so it was it was a case of anything that's in a pot that can go in the ground needs to go in the ground um, anything that might need staking or tying in needs staking and tying in now because it's going to be we're actually away for 16 nights in total yeah. um, so it's a big chunk of time to be away from home um, so it's just making sure that anything that was likely to need all those sorts of bits of extra care got them uh, you know and and truthfully I, I as you probably know Carl I, I wouldn't think anything of not going to my allotment every weekend if I were too busy yeah, yeah. Um, I know lots of allotmenteers will tell you oh, four hours a week and everything else. And I can only go at the weekends. Um, but it, it wouldn't bother me particularly if I left it a fortnight between visits to the allotment. It would mean I had plenty of work to do when I got back there. But actually, my holiday wasn't much longer than I might sometimes leave the allotment for anyway. Yeah. Um, provided it was in a reason, you know, reasonable condition, there wasn't much needed doing. 
Um, obviously, at this time of year, there's, there's issues with water in. So I did have my my family on standby. My parents very kindly, and they're, you know, they're not the youngest anymore, um, but they very kindly said that they would water if they needed to. As it happened, they didn't because the rain came in plenty of quantities to not worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> so it's, they sent me videos of like, we won't be coming to water your allotment today. And it was literally sheets of rain coming down outside. I was like, well, yeah. Actually, you probably don't need to water it till I get back now. That's that's arrived. Um, and it's, all, it's all in raised beds, as you know, as well. So although my the soil here tends to be chalky, which means it drains very quickly in the raised beds, because I've been able to incorporate a bit more organic matter and stuff, it does tend to hold the moisture reasonably well. Um, yeah. and so that seems to, it seems to be all right. I don't have to water very often when I am here, uh, except for, you know, for establishing transplants, which I do a lot of, um, but ev everything, once it's in and established, I tend not to water it if, if I'm truthful. So it was just another, just another advertisement for having, you know, as good as possible, isn't it? It's, uh, it, just it, another it really benefit. is. And, and I've mulched a lot of it as well, which is the other thing is, is, you know, that's going to keep the moisture in once it's in there, it stays in. Um, so you've got that sort of double whammy of there's plenty of, of moisture being retained and it's not going to evaporate off of the top and it was raining a lot anyway. And, and so it's, it was, it was fine. And I wasn't worried. I, I was a little bit concerned about some of the plants I transplanted at the last minute. Um, and as, as it turns out, rightly so, but I'm sure we'll get onto that later on. They, there's a few bits that didn't survive, but that kind of collateral damage of, of the reality of being a, a homesteader in a family that, you know, wants to go away and do holidays yeah. and, and have that family time away. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and the way that we, we choose to sort of do out, do the things that we do, uh, it's just what happens sometimes. And you just have to accept that, I think. Yeah. Um, so watering at the allotment, I kind of left the, the rain to do it. Um, what I did do at home was I've, I've consolidated all of my stuff that was in the two greenhouses into one. Um, and, and typically at this time of year, all that would be in the greenhouses anyway would be big pots of tomatoes and big pots of chilies. Yeah. Um, the chilies were ended up being planted out in the in the allotment, um, so they all got planted outside, and they'll they'll take their chances. Uh, and the tomatoes I left in their big pots, and I actually invested in a small irrigation system for them. Um, and, and again, again, my mum very kindly said she would come and water them if need be, and she came and, and did it once, I think, and checked on them. But actually, the irrigation system seems to have done the job at least well enough to keep the plants alive. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you say irrigation system, that could mean lots of different things. What, what exactly is it you've got set up there? It sounds very fancy, doesn't it, when I call it an irrigation <laughs> system? <laughs> it's, it's effectively uh, an a, 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 a kind of a hose lock um, adapter, which you'd use for a hose, hose pipe. Yeah. But rather than it being, I imagine they're probably 12 mil, are they those regular um, garden hoses? I would guess, yeah. This one's probably about three mil. Yeah. Um, coming out so three millimeter hose that attaches into it uh, and all that does is it, it goes along and then you can you get these little t-junctions um, that enable the water to pass through straight through all three of the different parts of the t if you can imagine that and you can cut the hose and then just push them into the end of the hose and then you can connect hoses in all different directions um, and then with that comes um, some little kind of tap fixes i suppose you could they're not really taps they're kind of like little are buttons they, they like, like, but each of them they, is, is a mini sprinkler are they red yes they're red yes yeah 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 i've got exactly the same and um, i'm not going to say it's awful and and it's not but it doesn't quite like when i bought it i had the fantasy of it working perfectly shall we say and it's not quite yep 
perfect as you might it's nowhere near as perfect as you might hope for and i spent a lot of time fiddling <laughs> with it to try and get it to work right um what i found is that if you if you do um in like i, I forget that when you're thinking about electrical circuits if it's in a straight line when you do them in a straight line in parallel it doesn't work very well yeah yeah so so when you get that yeah. kind of long I, I, is, is series the one where it's a long straight line i, I can't remember but anyway yeah it when is. it's in a yeah, long straight is. line the first three or four get loads and loads of water and then the ones at the end get nothing because the yeah. pressure's not enough by the time it gets to the end. And in fact, my original plan was I'd, I'd got this enormous um, uh, water butt given to me. And I thought, oh, well, if I fill that up, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll go better than that. I'll fill it up with uh, a weak comfrey feed so that they're kind of getting fed yeah. through, the, through the time I'm away as well. Uh, and I filled it up with this weak comfrey feed and I put this adapter on it and I, I, I put this you know, the hose on there and got the little taps all lined up where I wanted them to and then turned it on and then went, uh, okay, so the first one's not even getting any water. Never mind the end. One at the end, there just wasn't enough yeah, pressure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the end, I've, I've done it yeah. direct to the hose. And what I actually did was then was rather than doing it as a long straight line, put it into a loop. Um, and by having it in a loop, I've managed to get it so that it's watering twenty five tomato plants in the uh, in the greenhouse. Um, it's not amazing. I'm, I'm not going to pretend for a second that it's amazing, but it did enough to keep them alive while we we're away. Um, yeah. I have had some issues with blossom end rot and bits and pieces because of the, the intermittent watering that they would have gotten. Um, but like I say, it's kept them alive and I can now do what I need to do to remedy all those issues. Um, so yeah. it, it's, it's done the job. You can now support the show directly. Just go to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. You can become a patron and set up to donate to the show from any amount Pledging as little as $3 a month makes a huge difference. If that's not your thing, you can also support the show by sharing it with people you know or posting about it on social media. We really appreciate all the help that you give us. It's people like you that make this show possible. I was just going to say, I did get a timer to go with it as well, um, which was interesting because... Obviously, the other issue is that you don't want the water running for, you know, two weeks solid and washing everything right through the pots. Um, so I had it on, I think it was 12 hours out of every 48, just overnight. Yeah. Um, and, and that seems to have just dripped enough in there, like I say, to keep them alive. And, and if, if you'd have told me I'd come back and they'd all be alive, I'd have been delighted with that. So that Perfect. seemed to solve the problem. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm. and um, I, you take you take a little bit of blossom end right over the blight that we had here, wouldn't you? So, uh, yeah, that's got to count as a win. Well, absolutely. I mean, obviously, in the greenhouse helps with that. Um, yeah. As as you know, my a, a bunch of my tomatoes that a lot when I had to rip out even before we went away because we had blight sort of middle of July. There was blight up there, and it was just very apparent that it, all I was going to do by leaving them in was spread the blight further. So they they've come out and gone gone in you know, in, the, in the incinerator. But um, yeah, I don't tend to get problems with blight in the in the greenhouse as as much yeah. at least. Although I know you did this year, didn't you? Yeah, in our polytunnel. But, you know, yeah. I kept the polytunnel door open. Um, mm. So, you know, they, it's not like it was completely enclosed. No. Uh, e even so, you know, usually the ones in there would, would be... Well, yeah. They don't do anything about it, can you? There's no point, uh, no point worrying about it. I think a year like this, it's it's been remarkable if you hadn't had it, to be honest with you. It's been so warm and damp in the, all the wrong ways for blight, or all the right ways for blight, isn't it? It's, yeah. Um, it, it almost get nailed on. You could see it coming so far in the future. It's just ridiculous. And 
Um, I mean, I've, I've actually come back and I've obviously been to the allotment and, and the big issue at the allotment actually wasn't so much watering, but it was, it was harvesting. Yeah. Um, because I, I, what I've done is planted lots of warm weather crops that need harvesting now that if you don't harvest, they slow down. So things like beans and courgettes and tomatoes that actually want to be harvested, particularly the beans and the courgettes, because it will encourage, you know, promote further growth. Yeah. Um, so actually what I did was ask mum rather than to go to the allotment and water, to go to the allotment and harvest. And that is, again, another job that's not difficult to find people to do. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It obviously, it came, you know, it came with the reward of, you know, just take them away and eat them, please. You know, and if you can't yes. eat them, find someone else that will, because um, actually you're doing me a favour. And people are like, what? Well, you know, and, <laughs> and you explain why. Um, and it's like, well, actually, that kind of makes sense. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so I, and again, I've come back and literally the first thing, I, almost the first thing I did when we got home was head up there and go and harvest a load of beans for dinner and bring a cabbage home and, things like that, which, you know, I might not have been able to do in, under other circumstances. So, again, really pleased with that, considering how long yeah, we're yeah. away for. Just, yeah. a, just a quick word on pots. You, you mentioned mm. pots and managing that. I think it's really important just to just to take a step back and have a little think and, and think about your pots because it, the bigger pots could actually go a fair while without being watered. So mm. if, you, if you can put a little tray underneath them, you know, it's, it's yep. the smaller pots that are really going to suffer almost immediately without being watered, isn't it? And I think yeah. a little bit of, you know, even if you just pot something on into a bigger pot, it might require watering, you know, in, in terms of not necessarily for the plant to thrive, but just to go into survival mode for a week or two, you know, you can probably get away with watering it if, if it's in a big enough pot just once a week versus once every couple of days. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I tend to grow all of my tomatoes in 10 litre pots, the ones that are indoors. Yeah. Um, and the main reason for that really is I can then control the amount of moisture, the amount of feed that goes in there. Um, not that I, I only use, use comfrey feed really, um, but I can, I can keep control of that, keep an eye on it. And it's worked pretty well for me over the last few years. And they, you know, 10 litre pots are fairly decent sized of pot. Um, obviously tomatoes could take a much bigger pot if you wanted to go down that route. Yeah. Um, but it, it does seem to work fairly well. And, and like I say, I, I did move away from pots for most things. One thing I did, my blueberries are in pots. And one thing I did do with them was, put them in a, a really damp part of the garden. Yeah. Um, so an area of the garden where I know that there's not too much sun, it, it tends to get quite damp underneath. And although, you know, the pots that they're in aren't necessarily going to get water, what they will do is get any rain that lands on the shrubs around them will drip off into the pots slowly over time. Yeah. Uh, and although it's not a perfect solution, it, again, it's worked really well because I've come back to a really nice crop of blueberries as well. So, um, you know, that's another thing to think about. But actually anything that didn't need to be in a pot went in the ground because that just solves that problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so get the moisture out of the out of the soil. And is is the reason you keep your blueberries in a pot uh, purely for soil acidity? Yes, yeah, it's ericaceous compost yeah. in there because my the pH of my soil here is probably something about seven point two. Um, so it's slightly alkaline, which is great for brassicas and things like that, but not at all good for blueberries. Yeah, no, that's right. We we um we have to grow ours in pots as well. Grow mm. the the plants will grow quite happily in the ground, but they don't really fruit. Mm. No, I imagine I I literally I only started growing them a couple of years ago um i've never done it before it's because one of my girls really likes blueberries and and when you you know go to the shop and buy blueberries in a little plastic packet yeah. apart from the fact that that's not a great thing to be doing if you can if you can avoid it in my opinion um which doesn't not to mean that we don't do it but if we're going to avoid it we prefer not to and actually she really yeah. likes them they're really expensive 
and we can grow them. And that just seems to make sense that we do when we can, you know? Yeah. Um, so I haven't got loads, but it means that for a couple of weeks, we won't be buying any blueberries, which is, you know, got to be yeah. a good thing. For sure. For um, sure. So yeah. Yeah. So we started growing them and actually I've had a really like, a really impressive, I'm really pleased with the crop that I've got off them. I've only got two little bushes for the time being, but I, I will be increasing that. I think in the autumn when I, I look at next year's cropping, I think I'll buy another couple of plants with the seed order this year. Yeah. They, uh, they are, delivered. That, that when they when they deliver they really deliver don't they we, we've got a few plants around here and uh my son just you know we we couldn't possibly grow too many mm. and uh yeah no they're, they're a great a cracking little plant when they're when they produce when they're in a, in a year they have a really good year the thing is they freeze really well as well don't they and so yeah they do you, you like you say you could never have too many and, and theoretically it would be possible to uh, no way would ever be because we eat too many but theoretically it's possible to be self-sufficient in blueberries for that reason alone yeah um and and you know i've, I've done things like um the big fluffy american pancakes and like when, before you tell you sort of make the mix up and put it in the pan and fry the bottom so it goes all crispy and golden but before you flip it you chuck some blueberries in and you could throw blo- uh throw um frozen ones in there and then yeah. flip it over. By the time the, the pancakes cook, the blueberries have actually defrosted and cooked. Um, and it's a really, really nice way of using them up. Direct Perfect. from frozen, really simple. Yeah, um, so I, lo- I love I love any way you can use stuff directly out of the freezer is, is yeah. great. So do you do you know what varieties of blueberries you've got? I not? wouldn't have a clue. I can't no. remember how we because all of ours we got, I'm sure, from you know when you go in the discount stores like uh, in the UK, it would be B and M or Lidl's, and yep. occasionally those fruit uh, shrubs in those little boxes that are like four inch squares. Yeah, we, I'm fairly sure that we would have got our first one from there, and then we've just tip layered it to yep. propagate the others. So okay. no, I can't remember at all what it what, what variety it is. Uh, but perhaps, uh, perhaps I should do some of that then, because I I will probably because what I did was I bought because with the allotments we've got an arrangement with King's Seeds. Yes, um, and, I, and I can't speak highly enough about King's Seeds. I have to be honest, um, particularly because the arrangement society, which means that some of the seeds we get are so amazingly uh, cheap, actually, and the quality is still really good. Uh, and so I, I do a seed order through the allotment society every year. We get a really big discount. Um, and what they also then do is, is sell us plants. Now the plants I think are probably a bit more expensive if I'm really honest. Um, yeah. And I, I paid a, paid a fair bit for these blueberry plants, but actually the quality is really good. And I think probably what I'll do is buy another couple, but one of the varieties that I've got, has got these massive, like really big juicy blueberries on it. And the other one is smaller, a bit more like a black currant. Yeah, and so I've got to just try and remember which one's which and make sure I order, order the one that yeah. I want. So I like the I like the big juicy ones. And it's done yeah. really well. So and do they taste uh, as nice? Oh, they're amazing! Absolutely delicious. Yeah, yeah. So I'll definitely, say, definitely are, worth the effort. Ours are slightly bigger than a black currant. Okay, just slightly. But uh, that that doesn't that doesn't do you much good if you want to know the variety. It doesn't get you very far, <laughs> no, no, no. I know. Uh, I'll Google it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Slightly slightly bigger than a black currant variety. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, um, have, have you tried any of the other methods of drip feeding? I mean, I remember when I first started out growing my own food, I, mm. uh, I, I used to, I was always on websites like Wish, where you'd but, get these, oh, yeah. you know, gadgets for next to nothing yep. and, and uh, not particularly sustainably made, I'm sure. And uh, mm. I, don't, I don't tend to shop there too much these days. No. But um, I remember I bought a load of nozzle, like I've still got them and I occasionally use them. I don't really have the need to use them anymore, but a nozzle that you would screw on to a regular 
um, like a lemonade bottle or a yep. squash bottle. Um, and it's like a little nozzle that comes out. So you'd fill that up with water and it's got a little tap on it, I think, to allow the mm. air to get back in the bottle. And you, you literally, you'd fill the bottle up with water, screw this nozzle on, and then you turn it upside down and stab it into the soil and uh, it would drip freed from the bottle. I can't remember, did you have to, maybe you had to cut a little hole in the top of the bottle to allow air now I think about it, I'm not mm. sure. But have you ever tried anything like that? I've, I've seen the ones you mean, I've not tried those. What I have tried are the, and again, similarly, although they, they sell them all over the place, I think probably from Wish, the um, little um, bottle top, um like watering can kind of idea yeah and if you've seen those and obviously it's a slightly different thing but amazing for children um you yeah. can get all different attachments uh, like one that will just squirt like a you can use it like a, a water pistol if you want to at that point which is great fun um <laughs> but there's also ones with like little um shower head kind of um attachments and like you know uh watering can roses and that kind of thing which you can use which are really good but not no not the irrigation you, you say you've tried it does it work uh, again, it's hit and miss. You know, you you mm. have um, you you wouldn't want to bet your life on it working if you were going away for two weeks. But no. you know, if you if you fiddle with it enough, they you know they have worked. Like I say, it's not something I've really since I bought I, I sort of gimmicky gadgety stuff when I was mm. really quite new to it, and I found that generally you you just don't need it. Like there's nothing like that I really need that I find myself actually using these days if that makes sense yeah. because generally I, I there's not very much i grow in pots full stop the pots i do grow in are massive yeah. and like my blueberries i can't remember ever watering them if i'm honest mm. i'm sure my wife has because she does go around and water our pots because uh, mm. she grows sweet peas and things in the, the, a similar area to where we grow, grow our blueberries but it's not it's just not something that i really think about the other thing is we don't really go away here as well especially in the summer because we're milking I think that was the thing. Obviously, my wife and I came away and, and we've sort of had passing dreams of doing something similar to what you're doing now, I suppose, is the way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Every so often it will kind of resurface. And, you know, I've even I've even put in our, our little podcast uh, WhatsApp group, haven't I, a couple of times. Oh, there's this place and it's got five. Acres. Yeah, yeah. And I've got really excited. And, and then the reality kind of means for our, our family lifestyle. And I think the one big takeaway, one of the big takeaways for us coming away from from your property was that having the larger mammals means that realistically, particularly if you're milking, I, I imagine it would be very difficult to go away on holiday for any length of time. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure there'd be ways you could find. I'm not sure what they'd be for us. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think it would entail, you know, getting a human who's able to do all those things to, to mm. come in. Now we just before the pandemic, we had, it, it's, it's crazy how it happened. It makes me a little bit sad to, to think about. I think we share, I shared this story with you when, mm. when you uh, came, came to visit with us, but uh, we had like the, the family holiday of a lifetime booked mm. for, uh, I think it was March, but it might've been April to Disneyland in Orlando, Florida for yeah. ten, 10 days and um as it happened you know the the lockdowns and everything came into place literally like 10 days before we were due to fly out and it was devastating for the kids and and that's a holiday that we you know for, for various reasons that won't now get rescheduled you know that's just oh, gone and terrible, we, we we go on we go on precious few uh, holidays it's a real miss but we had someone lined up who was actually 
going to come in and, and take care of a lot of our stuff for us. But we specifically booked that date around the idea of milking. We were going I was going to be starting milking on, you know, the day, I, the day we flew home. And, right. you know, so we, that's why we were going so early in the year. And, mm. you know, so you do definitely, like you say, with larger mammals, you, you need to do a lot more planning around that type of stuff generally but specifically for around milking as well because obviously it's it's so much easier to find someone who can come and feed the pigs feed the goats water everyone etc etc but to find mm. someone who's going to do all those things plus milk the goats at a very specific time of day is uh, you know it's a, or t- twice a day at the start is a mm. very very specific skill set to have to find someone to do that and we you know luckily we, we well i say luckily we you know we didn't have to do that because and around the milking to, to not mm. happen but yeah no it's definitely something that uh, you know we're mindful of when we're thinking about holidays and stuff for sure mm. it, it's you know it's, it's not a complete deal breaker but but for us i think you know the lifestyle that we lead and, and everybody's the same i think you know we, we lead very busy lifestyles there's so much we cram try and cram in and i'm terrible for it you know if i find yeah. a space in the house or a spare five minutes i'll find something to cram into that and constantly i'm always late everywhere i go as a consequence i'm always like <laughs> trying to squeeze every last ounce out of everything that i do yeah, yeah. um and, and i think that you know, for us, if we were to, and we've said, I would said to you, it'd be very difficult for us to find a property in our part of the world that that would meet our needs, that would also then have the land yeah. uh, attached to it. I've seen the odd one where there's land, but the 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 house has been, you know, far too small, and and then the cost would be prohibitive for us to actually make the house to what we wanted it to be. Yeah. Uh, and I've then seen places that they, they just go for just amazing amounts of money. Um, yeah. I've got, you know, I saw one that, that had it was, it had five acres of land and an old bungalow, as, as I mentioned to you before. It was all run down and would have been ideal for us. Uh, it was probably just about within our price range. And then it transpired that 50 people had gone to look at it uh, and they were all in a position to move. And it was like, well, there's, you know, it's just about in our price range. There's no way that price is going to stay low with that no. many people interested. And so, you know, we, we sort of have these passing th- thoughts that we might do it maybe. And, you know, wouldn't it be fun to do this? Wouldn't it be? But the reality I think is that, that it, we're, I'm an urban homesteader and that's probably what I'll stay. And, and I'm a kind of okay with that. It just means yeah, yeah. there's some other things that I'd, I'd like to be able to do that I probably won't do anytime uh, in, in the immediate future, but that doesn't mean that at some point in the future, you know, longer term that I might not. Um, yeah. But, the, but the big challenge for us, and, and I think probably for many families is that, that, not having the land nearby you know there's been bits of land available for example you, you, you go and find could i go and find a space to keep some goats yeah of course i could but but it's not a home yeah and and that that difference of having to then go out to see to the goats twice a day uh, wherever that might be even if like the allotment's only half a mile away if that even that is a i've got to leave the family two small children my wife at home got to then make sure that it's okay that i can go at this time there have been times when I've had to stay far longer than I'd have liked because I've got to finish this job. Cause if I don't, the pigeons will just have a really nice dinner and there'll be no cabbages left tomorrow for me. Yeah. Um, and so that, the, the, that practicality, I suppose that, that you kind of have to consider one thing I'm thinking while I'm talking though, is that, that are we not building the most amazing community? Uh, yeah. and certainly your Facebook group and looking at the, the live, I, I've managed to catch up with your um, live stream from yesterday was it sunday no sunday you did, Su- didn't you? sunday yeah yeah sunday um i managed to catch up with that this morning um and what an amazing community we're building and i, I wonder if maybe you know there, there's a, an opportunity there for uh trying to match people up with people that homesteaders that want to go away 
with with wannabe homesteaders that would like to come and look after your goats for two weeks or for a week or whatever it might be. I don't know if that's a, a realistic thing, but I'm just sort of thinking, you know, there's, there's all these people that are interested in this way of life that haven't got that access. Yeah. Maybe that maybe there are people that would be interested in coming and doing that so that you could still go well, and do those those family well, things well that's a, that's an amazing idea because uh, earlier you know you said that just came to you while you were talking about earlier on when, when <laughs> well while we were talking what what came into my head was how it would actually and and i'll i'll come full circle on this I, i'm gonna yeah. meander a bit but then then i'll i'll mm. i'll tie a bow on it at the end but yeah basically i i came up with the idea of well it'd be a really good business for someone to do like um a homestead holiday business where you know yes. what you did is i come in you go on holiday i i know how to milk goats i know how to look after all these different animals etc etc so you mm. know you can trust trust me to do that i will come in and i will take care of all of your animals for the week that you're away and you don't have to worry about it and then i thought well yes but that's a very seasonal business and it's the busiest time of year when really you want to be doing your own stuff at home so that doesn't quite yeah. work but then what you said is actually a, a great, um, you know, a great companion idea to that idea is that, you know, yes, it would absolutely work that so long as there are, so long as there are people out there that would dearly love that experience, et cetera, et cetera, then, then I think that that could be a really nice way of connecting two different desires and, mm. you know, you know, pleasing both ends on it. Uh, that does sound like there might be, might be some mileage in that. Yeah, I think everyone could. Yeah, potentially you've got winners and winners, haven't you, in that scenario, which would be yeah. amazing. Yeah. 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 Just... Winners and winners. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm. So when you got home, Alan, from your holiday, mm. yes. What hadn't worked out very well? <laughs> I'm guessing there's, uh... there's, there's something, <laughs> you know, not everything was perfect. No, not everything was perfect. Um, there's. There's some bits in the, it's not so much in the garden at home, although a lot of the things that I planted out last minute have not done terribly well. Um, so I had some chilies that I put out in the garden here, which uh, there's, there's no sign of them, actually. <laughs> it's just right. completely disappeared. The whole plant. <laughs> yeah, it's just gone. And there's there's one sort of solitary, very sad looking one with the tiniest little red chili on it you've ever seen. Wow. Um, so that, that's that been a bit, of a bit of a failure. I think there are some at the allotment. In any case, I've got what, so many drives that I never need to plant? buy them. Do you know, I'm not sure. So small, possibly the slugs would have taken them. Um, right. They weren't particularly big chili plants when I put them out, so that, that might well have been it. Um, but no, there's literally no sign. I can't, can't even see where I put them, so it must be something like that, I should think, to have taken. Right. Uh, and then probably took them out really early, and then what's left is just kind of, you know, rotted down, disappeared, blown away in the wind, whatever. Um, yeah. So that, that's that's been one. Um, I had some Brussels sprouts that I've been holding in pots, uh, and they went into a patch at the allotment and and that yeah the slugs had a lovely time with those mm. um <laughs> and there's not much left to them they might come back because when the slugs eat though they were big enough that they they only ate kind of down to the vein you know the big vein that you get in there yeah uh, and so it might be that if i can protect them from now on i might be able to get them to to recover but the likelihood is probably not um i had a bit more blight on the tomatoes um my i've got um uh, a resistant variety that i like which is called mountain magic it's an f1 variety yeah you spoke um, about them with me recently i'm yeah. very very excited to to uh try those next year yeah there's a few there's another one called fandango um and then there's there's another one which i've heard of called i think it's crimson crush 
Um, and and you know, you, you, the nice thing about the allotment space, I, I sort of moan about it quite a bit on our um, podcast, mainly because if there's a pest or a disease to be had, once it's into the allotment, it just spreads like wildfire through the whole place. Um, and so, you know, as soon as I see a sign, and then we have a white, a blackboard outside of the, the sort of allotment shed, which is by the main gate, and you come in, and somebody, as soon as the blight's in, they they write up, you know, blight on plot number whatever, and you know for well that wherever it is on the allotment space, and there's, I think it's about 150 plots on on the allotment, um, where, wherever it is on the on the plot on the allotment, it, it's going to get to all of us eventually. Yeah, if it's not already, because uh, it, it comes yeah. in on the wind, so you know. It, yeah. it, everyone could be affected it's just not necessarily showing at the same rate maybe no exactly right and so you know as soon as you see it on there you go, oh no here we go so you the first thing i do is then go and look at where's well, there anything i can harvest and actually um what i've found is the only real way to deal with that is to to grow the resistant varieties yeah um and so mountain magic is one i've grown for probably five years now and very successfully it's the first time i've noticed blight on it ever uh, is this right. year um, which just goes to show, I think, probably how bad it's been for Blight this year. But it seems to be dealing with it. Um, and and the, you know, the nice thing about being at the allotment is that you've got all those years of experience of people around you. Um, and you, you kind of have to, with all things like this, you have, have to sort of filter the wheat from the chaff uh, and you know un- understand who it is that you're talking to and, and how much they know. Sort of filter through some of the ideas because the ideas are quite old-fashioned at times. Yeah. Um, but uh, often they know their, their vegetables. It works well on the site, particularly, which is really important because mine were terrible. Oh, well, I grew this one and it seemed to be all right. And so you think, well, I'll try that one next time. And the other nice thing is that you're all picking from the same, as I say, the King's catalogue, which we get through is so much cheaper than you would get in your local garden centre that you'd be, you'd be a fool to, to not buy from them. You know, you try and plan in advance yeah. and pick up all of, your, all of your seeds well in advance because if you don't, it costs you a lot more. And so you've got that wealth of experience and knowledge that you can draw from. And so one of the things that, that they've been putting up there is, you know, it's on the blackboard with the blight, but they've written up there as well, actually, you know, the, the Crimson Crush is where I heard about that from. And actually both of these varieties will grow through the blight, which I've never experienced before because we've never had blight on, on the Mountain Magic um, yeah. when I've been growing them. Uh, and so whereas I might have been tempted to rip them out, I haven't. Um, <clears throat> and we shall see what happens. Um, but so far I had a lovely tomato off them when I came back on Friday. Uh, and although there's showing signs of blight on the stems, which would normally be enough for me to, to pull them all out and, and yeah. you know and put something else in the ground, uh, it seems to be so far touch wood to be working. And is um, there so. is there in, growing in a communal space like that when you've got a plant that is showing signs of blight that you're not ripping out because obviously mm. you know with a pragmatic view on it and you know making informed decisions is there a concern that other people will look at that and think that you are going to spread the blight to their plants or is it you know is it already too far gone by then and everyone's got theirs ripped out or it's just something that just occurred to me it's 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 one of those ones where you kind of have to go with your um yeah your best judgment i suppose um there's no rules about it yeah uh, ordinarily, like I say, my, my first thing, as soon as I've got blight is, you know, the responsible thing to do in that scenario is to, is to remove the plants, um, and, and destroy them. And, and then in fact, if you've got blight, you know, I'd be encouraging everybody out there rather than putting them in your compost, um, for the risk of spreading spores down the line, I, you know, you should be looking at putting them on your incinerator or your fire pit or whatever it is that you've got, yeah. um, to try and destroy that. Um, in this particular scenario, I think I'm you know, the, the kind of the suggestion from the, 
the, the people that run the committee has been that, that they'll grow through it. And that's where the, that, the sign that's been put up has been put up by members of the committee. Yeah, yeah. Um, suggesting that these plants will grow through it. And so I'm taking that to be a kind of green light to, to leave them in and keep them growing. Well, of course, um, that's I, I why see... you've got them, isn't it? That's why yeah. you choose those varieties. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, they're not cheap. They're really expensive. You know, a, a typical packet of tomato seeds from King's that I would buy is probably about 85p. Yeah. Uh, and these ones are £2.20. Yeah. You know, so you're so you're looking at significant and, and when I say like a typical packet, I'm talking about San Marzano where you might get 50, 75 seeds, you get six or twelve in these these two pound twenty packets. So you're talking significant investment. Um, but it, it means that I can, it would appear at least, and it's certainly been true in the past, I can grow tomatoes outdoors at the allotment yeah. and not not worry too much about the blight. Of course, I, I the first thing I did because you mentioned this to me, and I looked online at the prices. I was really taken aback by six seeds for, and and I wasn't seeing prices like that. It was three pounds something a packet for six yeah. seeds, which is obviously, you know, a, a huge amount to pay for six tomato seeds, isn't it? Well, it is, and it's almost. There comes a point where you look at it and go, well, "Do I buy the seeds or do I just go and buy the tomatoes from the shop?" Yeah, <laughs> you know? and in my my answer to that with tomatoes in particular, because anyone that listens to our podcast will know that I'm a bit of a uh, a fan of t- of homegrown tomatoes. It, the answer is yes, because it's not the same as anything you can buy anywhere. No, uh, right. homegrown tomato is is an entirely different product from anything you buy in the shops, especially the supermarkets. Um, so it's definitely worthwhile buying the seed and, and trying it, but they are, you know, like, like we say, they are very expensive and, and, you know, there is still a possibility. And I did buy some Fandango and I have fried them this year you know, on, yeah. on a little windowsill propagator and the sun came out <laughs> one day and I came home in the oh, evening no. and they weren't there anymore because they've been, you know, literally yeah. burnt to a crisp. Um, and, no, no. and when they, when that's cost you 50 P for a seed or whatever it might be, you know, <laughs> that yeah. kind of stings. Yeah, but it's it's kind of just the necessary part of, of trying to you know grow your own produce as far as I'm concerned. And, and as I've said before, I'm not necessarily in it to save money, although that would be a nice byproduct. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm in it to grow better quality, um, you know, better food for my family, but also better for the environment and for the locality in which I live. And that's why I do it. Um, if it saves me money into the bargain, then that's that's great. But it's not not my primary motivation. No. No, I, I've I've spoke numerous times on the podcast about, you know, that side of it and how, you know, if we were to actually put a price on our time, we could get a job in McDonald's or, you know, the local supermarket or anywhere. <laughs> you know, the time we spend growing vegetables, if we spent that time working in McDonald's, we could go and buy all the vegetables we grew and then have a little bit left over at the end. So it's not about... Yeah. You know, it's not about it being the most economic way of spending our time. It's because we love it. And there are so many other advantages, not only for, well, I mean, I think Julie Ellaby was the first one that kind of mentioned it like this, but how growing your own food is, I don't know if she used this term or not, but but I consider it now, it's like the Swiss army knife of sustainability and wellness and, Mm. you know, so many functions whether it's restorative agriculture and you know restorative soil work that then sequesters carbon dioxide from the atmosphere or whether yeah. it's about reducing the amount of plastics that we are consuming by not needing all that yeah. packaging on our food saving on yeah. fuel driving to the supermarket the actual mental health benefits the cost yeah. you know everything it's just this amazing package that that delivers on so many fronts and and that's why we do it isn't it absolutely and and the other thing that it does and and like you i glow i 
grow for gluts. And so it forces me to find ways to deal with that. And, yeah. and as someone who probably, I started in the kitchen, I started out as someone who likes to cook. Yes. Um, and, and, and that was my first thing. And, and someone who likes to drink as well. So I, you know, as a student used to make my own alcohol and that made me very popular as well, to be fair, when I was living in halls of residence and everything. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, as someone who's coming from that point of view, if I want to consume, you know, good quality stuff, um and and i want to make and, and scratch cook and and we scratch cook everything here we don't you know we don't buy packets and that was perhaps an, another thing to talk about a bit the difference of shopping when we're away but um we scratch cook when we're at home and and so having those ingredients those raw ingredients makes you think differently and and yeah. we spoke last year about in the lockdown about how when you couldn't get certain products it forced you to think differently and i really enjoyed that challenge of Oh, I've got this. What am I going to make out of it? Rather than, oh, I, I need this like this ingredient for this recipe to work. I'm going to go and buy it. Yes. I'm not going to pop in the shop for a little jar of spices because actually, at the moment, it doesn't feel terribly safe to do that, and I'd rather not. So, what am I going to do with these ingredients instead? And I think that those challenges that it that it sort of sets up. You know, one of the things I did come home to was was half a dozen massive courgettes. You know, they're <laughs> small marrows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what am I going to do with them? I, I can't. I can't let them go to waste. I could feed them to the chickens. Um, but actually, there are so many other things that I can do with them. Uh, and so it's yeah. just that challenge that it sets up, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes yeah, you yeah. think differently about food and about produce. I think that's yeah. really a really important difference. Um, and, yeah. and for people that are not already scratch cooking, and I imagine most people that listen to the podcast are or they aspire to, um, you know, that's a, a good place to start when you've got too many tomatoes or too many courgettes. What are you going to do with this yeah. produce that you've got rather than wasting it? Yeah, and I, mm. I know you and the listeners can't see me, but I've just mm. got this huge grin on my face as you're talking <laughs> because, you know, this is just, you know, ex- this is just, uh, this is what I immerse myself in and just mm. get a, a huge amount of satisfaction from is that whole, you know, using things in a new way, learning mm. new skills and connecting with it all in, you know, ways that you, you would never have crossed your mind if all you were doing was going to the supermarket to buy your food. You, yeah. you just, there's, it, I, you, I can't put into words how exciting, of a glut of something that i genuinely am not sure how i'm going to use yet is mm. you know idea of well i'm going to have to learn a new fermenting method or uh, you know some new recipes a new way of disguising this vegetable for my children or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. it is you know <laughs> you know you yeah. mentioned you mentioned marrows and you know yeah. massive courgettes at least once a year we're going to have stuffed marrow because we we don't want marrows we don't grow courgettes to have marrows but you know inevitably it happens once or twice and you know there might be one that just snuck out under a leaf and and was covered up and before you spotted it it was massive and you know so we're 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 having a a stuffed marrow dinner which we weren't expecting but that's all part of the fun I did stick a recipe up in your Facebook group a while back, actually, about um, how to use up some courgettes, which I think you've alluded to actually recently about courgette fritters. I, I do a, um, I, we call them polpette here, which is kind of just the posh word for a meatball without meat in it. Um, but yeah. it's, it's obviously grated courgette typically, but you can then mix all kinds of things with it. And we tend to use them like you would meatballs with pasta. Um, but yeah. you can make them bigger and make them into burgers. And and I've put that on the Facebook group. So certainly something for people to look at if they're struggling with too many courgettes. That's a really good way to use them up fresh. Um, but the other thing I've been looking at is actually I've had a pressure canner sitting in my garage now for over a year. 
that has never actually been used. I've never found a reason to use it. Uh, and I've always, always wanted to. And I think that this might be the kind of catalyst that gets that new skill ticked off. Um, you, your, that, your pressure can is starting to become a little bit like my ponds, Alan. You'll have yeah, to. Yeah, uh... it is a bit. It is a bit. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do something about this because it's uh, it's yeah. kind of every time I think, oh, I must, I must do that. I must, do that. and I never find a reason to. And I think this might have to be the reason to do it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And now I've said it, I'm gonna have to follow through, aren't I? So yeah, well, so you, you're on the record now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh dear. So the the other one to spot to talk about actually in terms of going away on holiday is microbes. Um, cause we, we, we didn't mention that. And, oh and, yeah, of course. Cause obviously I have a bit of a microbe habit as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so you've got the kind of the livestock, you've got the veg, veg garden and you've got the, the kind of what you, what you would keep in dad's, dad's fridge. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got in, um, in various jars in our, what we call our pantry, which is just a glorified name for the utility room. Um, or, or in my fridge, um, obviously the sourdough starter, uh, yeah. we make yogurt here. So we make all our yogurt um we i've got a little ginger bug on the go as well uh and i make kombucha uh as well as obviously fermenting various um things and making vinegars and that kind of thing which you know again lots of people probably be doing that and all those all those things actually are things that anybody listening to this i think would be able to do in whatever space they've got as long as they've got a kitchen yeah um ideally you'd have a fridge to keep the sourdough starter in but you could even do it without that potentially um and so all, all of those things needed a bit of looking after. And <laughs> I had some kind of, some of them don't need to be worried about too much. The kombucha kind of sat and did its own thing for a couple of weeks and that seems to be fine. Uh, the ginger bug, uh, not sure that's made it through. I might have to start again with that. I, I did come, first thing I did when I got back through the door was feed it. And that gets a couple of teaspoons of sugar every week or so. Yeah. Um, and that, that might not be as, as, yeah, as, as lively as I'd like it to be. So we'll see how we go with that. But the, the sourdough, um, I solved by taking it away with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it came on holiday. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> it, who, it prob- who doesn't who doesn't take their sourdough starter on holiday with them? Out? Uh, well, uh, it was actually. <laughs> Why would they not? <laughs> did you did you put it in a thermos for the drive? No, no, no. I, I just literally just found a little Tupperware container. Um, yeah. a little plastic thing, um, so that we, with kind of the clip lock lids, so that when we arrived, I could unclip it, so that if it did decide it was going to go you know, nuts, yeah. it, it could, it could breathe. Okay. Um, How with you? I, I bought it. We didn't actually take any food with us. We bought all the food when we arrived, which is, uh, I say, something to talk about perhaps. But um, we t- we took, I took the little sourdough starter. I bought a bag of flour and I arrived, and I fed it down there. And actually, I'd used it while we were down there. I made some um, kind of naan breads, which we cooked on the barbecue while we were down there. Um, so it didn't come away for no reason at all. But what that meant was that I could leave like the regular jar that sits in the fridge. And and to be fair, over two weeks, it probably would have been absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, but but the fact that I had some with me meant that when I came back, if that had failed, I wasn't without a sourdough starter. Yeah. Um, and that, that just solved that problem uh, for me, which was really nice. Um, and the other one is the yogurt, which, to be honest, I've let I've let go. We, we used the last of it up before we went. Um, and I have I will start again when I get a minute this week. Oh, well, at least with yogurt, it's a it's a much easier thing to sort of kickstart, start from scratch again than it is uh, the sourdough. It's literally an overnight thing because I'll go over our local shop and I'll buy a yeah. small carton of, of live yogurt and then put the yogurt maker on overnight and it's done. I've got I'm yeah. back in the yogurt thing and that it just keeps ticking over. I probably could have made a batch up before I left if I was worried about it um and just left it in the fridge and it would probably would have been fine for a couple of weeks and i 
probably would have had, then had to throw that away when I arrived back and decided that actually it was more efficient to to just use up what I had and then start again when we got back. Yeah, um, but yeah. it's something to think about. You know, perhaps people going away on holiday mightn't think about what am I going to do with my sourdough starter or my yogurt or, or those sorts of things. I think it's important that if you've enjoyed doing those things, you, you've got, got a plan for those as well. So it's really easy for you guys to get in touch. Whatever it is you want to say, whether it's an idea for a future episode or perhaps you've got some feedback on something you've heard me say, I really do love hearing from you. There's lots of ways that you can do it. Now, you can follow the links in the show notes. You can use your phone just by pressing the button in the link and record a voice message that can be played on the show. Alternatively, you can send us an email where we are selfsufficientcontact at gmail.com or you can find us via Facebook. But however you choose to do it, I really do love hearing from you guys. Perhaps you'd like to record a voice memo using the regular recording app on your phone and send that via an email. That's another way that I can play it on the show. But please do get in touch. Well, that's it for this week for my conversation with Alan. But as you can probably tell, that isn't it for the conversation. We went on for quite some time here. So I'm going to bring you the second half of that conversation where we talk about cooking from scratch and all sorts of other related issues. And we get into the weeds a little bit about different cooking methodologies, methodologies, should I say. And, uh, you know, just we we spend an hour in our kitchens in our heads while we're having a chat so uh, that's going to be the second part of that conversation with Alan and because we never really formally closed off that conversation I didn't give Alan a chance to let you know where to find him and I'm sure that regular listeners already know but that is Alan from the Urban Homesteading UK podcast so if you like the sound of what we're talking about there that's kind of similar to what their podcast is every single time so go and check them out please do in the meantime i will say goodbye and speak to you all really soon cheers if you find this podcast valuable there's several ways you can support it the easiest of which is to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts you could also talk about it or share it wherever you post online including your social media pages And now you can support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. See you soon.